what's birthed in the spirit is kept alive by the spirit. And that's the reason why the spirit's guidance and direction is so important. All right, let's get on to the new stuff. Acts 15, 36 to 31. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul took, chose Silas and departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Father, guide us today, I pray. I want you to notice in that very first verse, it says that Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city. Let us go back and see how they're doing. Do you get that? If Antioch had been uh, battered by this false doctrine, this, this incorrect teaching, then that means it's probably in other places. And as we know from the letter to the church of Galatia, it was there. Already this, this struggle was there as to what was the expectations of God and what was the expectations of man and not mixing the two together. Um, what I love about it is that the motivation of, of Paul and Barnabas was, you know what? We've got to keep an eye on the church. We, we, we birth these churches with the work of the Spirit and we put elders in place, but you know what? We've got to make sure they're doing good. And so we probably should get back through there and, and make sure that everything is, is solid. And, and we will see that that is the heart of Paul, Barnabas, and, and later on in Acts, in, uh, when he's writing and speaking to the church at Ephesus, and, and I know this is way off in Acts, but we're, I'm going to read it to you because I want you to get something. It, it's consistent with what we've been talking about for several weeks. But in Acts 20, verse 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves. And who's he talking to? He's talking to the leadership. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. How dear is the church to Jesus? It's bought with blood. It's very special. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Folks, we are living in a day. It's, it, was, it was very prevalent then. It's been prevalent through history, but oh my word, we need to remind ourselves that Satan has an agenda and his agenda is what? It is to destroy the work of the Lord. It is to crumble the church. It is to twist the doctrines so that they lose their power. It is a bad agenda that he has. And believe me when I say this, there are fierce wolves among the churches today. And there is twisted teachings everywhere. But what I want to focus on predominantly is this impasse that came between Paul and Barnabas. They, they worked like this, and all of a sudden, everything was going good until one day it wasn't. Point is, Paul and Barnabas agreed on what to do, but not on how to do it. 
I want you to think about that for a moment. They agreed on what to do, but not on how to do it. That's being unified in theology, but separated in methodology. You see, there are two things that are very much what makes up a church. One of them is the theology, and one of them is the methodology. Your theology is is usually, if you're, if you're a part of a church, the main reason why you're probably part of that church is because you are in agreement with how they teach the Bible, uh, how they believe the word of the Lord is supposed to be practiced out in life. You're on the same page theology-wise. But what is, has divided probably more churches in history than anything else has been methodology. What we're supposed to do, how we're going to do it. And so... They were together on theologic, on their theology. We need to go back and strengthen the churches. We need to make sure that, that, that the error hasn't gotten into the doctrine. We need to make sure that our leaders are still standing firm and communicating what needs to be preached. But they were off in methodology, and the methodology was as simple as this. I want to take Mark. I don't. We're going to go there. Let's go there. Good deal. Let's bring Mark. No, I want to take Silas. I don't want Mark. A difference in how they felt like they should do something. Uh, There was never a scripture that ever told Barnabas that he needed to link up with Paul or Paul that he linked up with Barnabas. They had, by the Spirit, been brought together and they, they, were, they were a good fit. They were sort of like the dynamic duo, doing wonderful and glorious things for the kingdom. And because of that, we sometimes get an assumption in our mind that, well, it was put together by God, and therefore it, it, it should have stayed that way all the way through. And, you know, this was a travesty for the church. I hope you look at things a little bit differently as we move through this. Here's the thing. Not everything that works today will work tomorrow. Not everything that's in place right now will be in the same place in the future. Because the bottom line is, is our theology must be permanent, but methodology is always changing. Do any of you remember back when the church used to go knocking doors? Remember that? Anybody remember back when when they used to preach on street corners? That's way back there. See, there's been a lot of methodologies through the years. I remember being in the church years ago when uh, we decided that we were going to use evangelism explosion. Anybody ever heard of evangelism explosion? Anyway, and and so I went to and got trained in that for about a week and came back and began to to implement that into our church. That's, That's a methodology. We have a serious methodology here that I, I, I want to keep in front of you, and that is, that is connection groups. It's a methodology. It, it's something that we believe biblically is good for the church, for building stability in, in relationships and our accountability and encouragement for one another. So that's a methodology. Uh, but what I want you to see here is that they came to an impasse And you know what that is? That is when two objects of maybe equal force decide that they are not going to budge. 
Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. You read that and you think, oh, well, you know, it's like, uh, I would like to take Mark. What do you think? I think it would be a good idea. Let's give him another chance. Biblically, that's not the way this is. Translation from different words, sometimes you don't, you, you can't always capture the emotion in it. All right. The truth of the matter is, is uh, this was not like, you know, a desire. This was like a deliberation. And we don't see much from Mark or from Barnabas like that. But on this particular occasion, biblically, there was a sternness in Barnabas. And he looked at him and he said, I'm taking Mark. And his response that he got back was Paul saying, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. And again, best thought best not to. Sort of an idea. No, I don't think it's a good idea. No. Basically, his, his, what he conveyed was he blew it. No. He's not fit. He's not ready. Whatever. So now you have this very, as the Bible tells us, a, a sharp disagreement between them because here's one going, I'm taking Mark, it's time for him. And another one over going, no, you're not. He blew it. He's not ready. And this sharp impasse created such a disagreement that they separated from each other. And I'm going to say something to everybody. Ready? Because I've been in a church a long time. Not this church, but a bunch of churches for years. When there's no budging, you better make sure you're right. Because a lot of times we don't budge just simply because we're stubborn. Sometimes we don't budge because this is the way we think. This is the way we feel. This is the way we want it. Now you stay with me. Don't turn me off yet. You see, here's what's crazy. Is Barnabas had had a huge impact upon the life of Paul. I mean, he gave him a chance when nobody else was. The disciples were keeping him at a distance. And Barnabas brought him in and, and he advocated and he befriended him. And when it came time, he went down and hunted him down and brought him up to the church at Antioch and and and. and plugged him in there and turned him loose in the pulpit. Very much invested into him. And I don't think Paul understood that very good about Barnabas. That basically, basically this is who Barnabas was. This is what he did. He invested in people. And, and wow. Though they might have been a dynamic duo, I think Barnabas always knew a day was coming when he needed to just say goodbye. Let Paul go and do what Paul did. And he needed to do what was his gifting and ability, and that was to invest in somebody else. I think he always knew it was coming. That's the reason why I never bothered him. You know, it started off Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. And the next thing you know, Barnabas is, is in the background, and it's Paul and Barnabas and Paul and his company. <laughs> I mean, he didn't even make, he didn't even make 
small print. But he's never bothered by that because that's not who he was. He was fine print. Paul was bold letters. And he invested himself in people and he brought people along. And what he had done with Mark, or what he had done with Paul, he was now wanting to do with Mark. Folks, I, I, I really want you to understand that. That's tremendously valuable. Because where would Mark be if somebody hadn't invested in him? But anyway, that brings me to a point. You don't have to agree with me, but you should, unless you're going to be stubborn. I believe Barnabas was right, which makes Paul wrong. What? You're telling me that the guy that wrote most of our New Testament, you're talking about super apostle Paul, was wrong? Yeah. That's not a measure of your godliness. Wrong just means you're not right. Doesn't mean you're sinning. Hallelujah. How many of you ever been wrong? The rest of you not telling the truth. We've all been wrong. We've all been wrong. The thing is, is, is when you put it in perspective right here, Barnabas was doing exactly what Barnabas was gifted and called to do. He was investing. That's who he was in the kingdom of God. Paul, on the other hand, was just being hard-headed. Yep, I'm going to call it for what it is. That doesn't mean that he's, a, he's, 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 got, he's sinful. That doesn't mean that, that he's vindictive. I don't believe he was that. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe he was that at all. I just believe he had it made up in his mind. Nope. He ain't ready. I ain't taking him. And as a pastor, I have seen it on a few occasions. Somebody just, mm, don't like it. Ain't gonna do it. Bottom line is, Paul wasn't budging, but Paul wasn't gifted the same way Barnabas was. You see, they had so much in common. They both loved the church. They loved the work of God. They both invested in leaders. They wanted to make sure that, the, that, that every church was in good hands before they left. They were solid about theology. They wanted to make sure every church was healthy, getting the right amount of good, solid doctrine to make mature believers. But they were not gifted the same way. Paul was very much prophetic in his gift. I'm going to say to you that I don't know anybody that probably saw black and white more blacker and whiter than he did. That's, that was his personality. That was the way God designed him. That's what the church needed because that made him the man that would stand up and identify a sorcerer as an evil spirit. That would be the guy that would stand there and preach no matter what, even when the stones begin to get flying. He needed to have that kind of personality. You notice the Bible doesn't say that they stoned Barnabas and Paul. It just stoned Paul, left him for dead. 
You see, they had a different, he was, he, was that, he was that man out in front of the charge all the time. That's the way he was gifted. That's the way he was, he was set up by, by God. But Paul, on the other hand, I keep getting back. Barnabas, on the other hand, was an encourager. Bible tells us the first time we ever hear about Barnabas that that's who he was. That's what his name means. He's a son of encouragement. <clears throat> He's like the guy, I guess the best way to say it, he could lead from the inside. He didn't have to be out front. There's that guy in the middle going, come on, we're doing good. Come on, keep going. Come on, keep going. Come on. They were both good mentors. And you can see that by the product of their work. You take Barnabas, who said, I'm taking John Mark. And look at what happened in John Mark's life. Look at who he became. And much like Barnabas, he was always in the background. You don't, you don't, you don't ever really see, there's, there's no chapter written about John Mark. He was always a background kind of person. But oh, was he important to the church. And then you got Paul over there and, and, and he, he takes people like Silas and Titus and Timothy and boy, he raises them up, doesn't he? And they become strong leaders. And when he's in prison, he's like, go get them, guys. You got to keep the church in order. You got to make sure that, that, that they are staying on the task. You see, they, they, they both mentored, but they mentored as they were gifted, as they had the ability to do so. And so I want to say something to everybody that's here for a moment that's off of the text, but onto the target. You may not could ever see yourself as a Paul, but I do believe that many of you in here could be a Barnabas. I do. You may not ever see yourself as that, that person out front leading the way. But something resonates in your heart about, well, I could invest in somebody. I could encourage this person. I, I, could, I, could, I could call them and check on them. I could, I could say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's spend a little time together. I want to get to know you. I, I could be that person. And I want you to hear me. Paul's are great. But the churches are really built with the Barnabases. And for every Paul, the church needs a dozen or two dozen Barnabases. Because that's really where, where the development of the health begins to happen inside of the church. Now, what's interesting is, is, is that they had two different styles. And because of this disagreement, they go different ways. And Paul takes off and he heads north, going back to the churches in the Galatia area. And and Bible tells us that, you know, he basically had the uh, support of, of the church at Antioch. They commended him to go and to do. So Paul's now on his second missionary journey. Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus. And we never hear about Barnabas in Acts again. And some people would say, well, see, Paul was right. No. And I want you to see this in Scripture. 
Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark, who's this? Yep, the cousin of Barnabas. Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are, this is a tremendous compliment right here. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God that have been a comfort to me. Look at Philemon 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark. And Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Second Timothy 4, 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke has gone. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Do you see all this? Now, before I go any further, do you notice something? Demas is one of his fellow workers in Philemon. And then in 2 Timothy, Demas has left him because his heart is really in the world. You see... It's not really about how you take off. It's about how you end up. Some people take off like and fizzle. Some people have a shaky start, but then they get their footing and they begin to move and they begin to grow and they begin to mature. I'm going to tell you something. Give me a ton of people. <laughs> who sit down at some point and go, okay, God, I, you know, show me yourself. Help me, help me to believe. Help me to, help me to understand. Lord, I, this, I read it and I don't get anything. Help me to understand. I'd rather have those people who's, who struggle a little bit trying to really firm up some kind of foundation of what they believe and who Jesus is in their life than the guy that gets so excited, oh, hallelujah, the Lord saved me. And a year from now, is right back out where he was. All right. Back to Mark. And now for the rest of the story. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? <laughs> Scripture shows us that Mark was a really good worker. He really became what Barnabas saw, what Barnabas believed. Uh, we see several things in there. First of all, we see that Paul held him in high esteem, that he was one of the few among the circumcised Jewish Christians that really was supportive of Paul. Um, Paul calls him useful in the ministry. And then, of course, we know that in time, well, actually before all this ever happened here, 
and, and he began to have a bigger part in the ministry of Paul, he was very much involved in the ministry of Peter and was plugged in uh, working underneath Peter. Anyway, the fact is this. Before Paul saw his usefulness, Barnabas did. And he developed it. And you have to stop and consider where, where would Mark have ended up if, there, if Barnabas had, had, had said to Paul, okay, Paul, you're the, you're the honcho now. You don't think he should go? I'll see you at the next reunion. Adios, amigo. Where would you have been? What would have happened? Stop and think about it for just a moment. That person that maybe the Lord puts on your heart, that person that you think, you know, I wonder how they're doing spiritually. You know, I, I visited with them a little bit at breakfast. I visited with them a little bit between services. I just wonder really how they're doing. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them this week and see if we can get together and, and, and visit for a little bit. Folks, do you realize that that could be the turning point in their life? Because you just became a Barnabas to them that invested in them and encouraged them and things began to turn right there. Oh, how important that is for all of us to understand. Anyway, he uh, served with Peter. He served very faithfully with Peter because he was plugged in with Peter before Peter began to write his letters like First Peter and Second Leader to encourage the churches. We know that under his tutelage and spending time with him, that that's when Mark began to write what Peter saw and what Peter taught about who Jesus is and what Jesus did when he was on the earth. <clears throat> so after being trained by Barnabas, he serves with Peter. He serves with distinction. And he becomes very much, Mark becomes to Peter very much what Luke became to the Apostle Paul. And uh, praise God for what happened. But here's what we know. Look at these words. This is 1 Peter 5.13 in his commendation concerning Mark. She who is at Babylon, that would be the church of Jesus that was in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Mark, my son. What would have been Mark's story if Barnabas had not stayed in his calling, developed him, and encouraged him? What would it have been? So I want to go back up to this. Barnabas, this is your text. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul took Silas and departed, and having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. As far as Acts is concerned, the rest of the chapters are focused on Paul, aren't they? His ministry and what he did, his teams, his missionary endeavors. He had the commendation of the Antioch church, and he had the historian that was writing the book of, of Acts, who was Luke. So why would we not... Why, why would we know anything besides exactly what he wrote and told? And he's traveling with, with Paul. And so because of that, it's like, eh, I guess he was a guy that was right. I'm glad Luke did that. 
I'm glad that the focus of the rest of the chapters are very much on the church and what's God doing in the church and God building the church and the importance of the church being evangelistic in mind and, and, and how every, every place needs a good, healthy church where Jesus is preached. I appreciate that I get all that from Acts. But I need you to get something else. And that is that though Jesus is Lord of the church, and this is tremendously important to him, you can never lose sight that everybody sitting in a chair is individually important. We cannot just focus on the whole and forget that it's, it is comprised of all the individuals that make it. Every person, just look at me for a moment. Every one of you are important. You are important to Jesus Christ. You are needful in the kingdom. It's not that you are so needed to make the church healthy, though that's true and that's the way it works. You are needed because you are precious in the eyes of God. When he died on the cross, he was dying for the world, but he was dying for the world one person at a time. So I want you to hear this. The church is as healthy as you are individually. You. If my appendix is messing me up, my whole body begins to have the, the effects of it because that's the way we're designed. So really and truly, the health of the church is just exactly what you as an individual make it to be. So it's important that you and your relationship with the Lord is growing. But I need you to remember this. Besides the fact that, that you're important, you need to remember that what you do is never as important as who you are. What you can do for God is never as important as who you are to God. You know what? God doesn't need any of us. He doesn't need us to be obedient so that his will will be fulfilled. His will will be fulfilled with or without us. But he loves you. And so far more important than what you may or may not do is who you are. You are a child of the Most High God. That's very important. In the kingdom, <clears throat> remember this. When you are not in the spotlight, see this, right this moment, I'm in the spotlight. When you're not in the spotlight, that's when God's doing his greatest work. He never does it when you are up front and everybody's looking. He always does it in the quiet of your time of prayer, your time of seeking him. As we like to say, it's all, what happens in the closet is what's important. When you pray and when you seek him, when you read your Bible. And the last thing is this, is the good work that the Lord has begun we believe that, right? He, he began a good work in us. That good work that he has begun in us is always more active. 
when, we're, when nobody's looking. So everybody listen. This is not the measure of your spirituality. This is just a part of the byproduct of your love for Jesus. The measure of your spirituality is what will happen sometime tomorrow when you dedicate time to be with the Lord. The measure of your spirituality will be more about how the Lord is able to speak to you from his word than the fact that you made it to church. But the fact that God's doing something in each and every one of our lives on a day-to-day basis is the reason why when we come together, God can do so much more. He can do so much more. If, if individually you are close to the Lord, then collectively his spirit can guide us and do so much more. It starts at home. So I want to ask you this as I wrap it up. What's God doing in your life right now? What's God doing in your life right now? Too many times we are living in our memories and not in our current events. What is God doing in you right now? If your answer is not much, then change it. I said, change it. Give him some more time and he will do so much more. He doesn't move away from us. We get busy and move away. If you're, and if you're, if you're honest and you say, you know, not much is going on right now in my spiritual life. You can fix that tomorrow morning with some quality time in the presence of the Almighty. When you open that Bible, when you, when you get where you're not being disturbed and you say, okay, God, do what you want to do. Get me back. Get me back. Where you're my first love. Would you stand with me? I want to finish up with this. God is so amazing that when we historically look at Acts and possibly read that and go, well, that was just a terrible day when two people who had worked side by side for years went different directions. That was just a terrible day. But what's amazing about God is that he used their differences to advance the kingdom in two different directions. See, that's what's amazing about God. Was one right and one wrong? I think so. But was God bigger than all of it? I absolutely believe so. And God used this to multiply his work 
And so I really want you to get this. Listen, the question is not who's right and who's wrong. It's not all of the different little details sometimes. Here's the big question. What does God want to do here? And Lord, help me not be stubborn if it's not what I think it is. Father, we pray. You're such a big God. You're such a wonderful, loving Savior. And your plan for our life is so beautiful. So much better than we can ever imagine. But Lord, it cannot move forward until we are ready to sort of let go of some stuff and just hold tighter to you and say, Lord, let it begin. Use me according to the way you made me and grow me according to how you have a plan for my life. And God will do it. God will do it if you give him some time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.